Welcome to the My Curious Colleague Podcast with your host, me, Denise Veneri. We'll be talking all things consumer relations with a focus on consumer product goods organizations and the brand specialist and analyst roles and responsibilities. So if you like CPGs like I like CPGs, marketing, insights, and caring deeply for your consumers, well, take a listen. Hello, my curious colleagues. Today, my guest is my colleague, Jim Partner. Hi, Jim, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Denise. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my honor. It's my honor. Um, You've got a lot to impart with us all, so let's get right to it. And why don't you tell us a little bit about, about yourself? Well, uh, right now, let's let's start it here. I'm an adjunct professor at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia, um, where I teach consumer um, food marketing research in the food marketing department. And prior to that, I've been a consultant since 1990 in the marketing research space. And before that, I spent the 80s at Campbell's Soup in both marketing research and brand management. So uh, that's my history and um, having some fun consulting and um, uh, and teaching. I love to teach. Yeah. And what a fantastic background to bring to the students, you know, with the market research, CPG, food, plus the brand management. What, an, what a nice combination. Alrighty. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to talk about consumer behavior a little bit get into market research at a high level, definition around qualitative. And then I'm building here. Then we're going to talk a little bit about how you view contact center data and, and what benefits it can it can be when it's leveraged as a market research methodology. So that's a little sneak peek. First question, excuse me. Why do you think, Jim, it's it's more important than ever that that marketers really understand their consumers and their behavior? Well, I think um, it's a great question, Denise. I think the the issue today is um, we've seen such dramatic change in the consumer at the beginning with this pandemic that we've been all going through. Um, everything has changed. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, the manufacturers have had to change. The retailers have had to change. The consumer has had to change. It's, it's just, it's a bit of a scary time. Um, it's a time where um, people are really unsure and feeling uncomfortable. Uh, it's important for them to have a relationship with their brand. Um, and where brands are not being responsive, consumers are going to private label because they are not having that connection with their brand. So I think that's that's an important uh, part and, and it's important for manufacturers and uh, to understand that. And that's what marketing research is all about. And And to your point, market research is one of the best ways to really understand and get at that consumer behavior. So let's talk about those two types of, of research. How does qualitative research differ from quantitative research? 
Okay, qualitative research is basically the first um, uh, first step, if you will, in the research process. And it okay. is um, oftentimes it's done using focus groups or in-depth interviews, ethnography research. It mm -hmm. is what I consider to be generative. It's gathering and trying to elicit from consumers all of the uh, attributes of a product and all of the the benefits that they derive from a product um, and, and understand why those things are important to them um, and, and how they make their purchase decisions. Quantitative is taking all of those answers that you learn in qualitative and putting metrics against it and, and understanding how important and creating hierarchies of how important those characteristics are to the decision process. So it enables a manufacturer or a retailer to better understand consumers in terms of how they make their decisions, what's important to them, and therefore what they need to, what, what the manufacturers need to communicate about that product to stimulate trial, stimulate repeat. Yep. Yep. We were talking about repeat. Over in the pre-chat there. Absolutely. Okay. So that's a good grounding and come back and dig into quantitative. I think what we'll do tonight <laughs> is just stick with it so much. Stick with the qualitative. And maybe as we're talking, the thread that we can kind of weave is using qualitative to begin to understand a new product offering. Can we use that as an example? Sure. Versus say, you know, designing, advertising communications or, you know, so let's like think, let's be thinking that mm -hmm. if you don't mind. So when should qualitative be utilized and how has it changed in the pandemic? So specifically, what, when should you use various types of qualitative? Qualitative is used is qualitative as a, as a focus group, qualitative or as focus groups are used um, basically to enable the group think to provide greater richness to the data, to the information that you get from consumers. In-depth interviews, which is another form of qualitative research, are used to establish those same kinds of characteristics and importance ratings or opinions, but when it's a sensitive topic, it's something that's dealing with health issues. It's something that's dealing with financial issues. It's something that's dealing with something that you're not really willing to share in a room of eight strangers. Right. So that's the reason that you, that those are two types of qualitative ethnicity, ethnographic research is done. Um, it basically is observational. It's when you sit with someone in their environment and see what they actually do and how they do things and how they, whether that's in a um, supermarket shopping, seeing mm -hmm. how they make their decisions at shelf, or whether it's in their home, determining what kinds of things they use to prepare their meals. Got it. So it, if we play the game of new product, uh, you know, development, new product assessment, 
you could definitely have a focus group around getting input on a new product. Absolutely. Absolutely. In-depth interviews. Maybe you'd want to do that if it's a more personal type product or service you're trying to develop. So there's definitely. there's a spot for that too in the new the new product development. And then ethnographies for a food product. My goodness, what's what better way than hanging out in somebody's habitat, their kitchen, and seeing how they either use a product or how they make a typical weeknight meal. I'm just throwing that as an example. So interesting. It, it really provides some richness because oftentimes when you're a brand manager, you're not being exposed to those variations and those real life experiences that consumers are having with your product. It's sure. a fascinating opportunity to take a look at that and have a perspective on that, whether it's a quality, any kind of qualitative research is like that. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, let's stay with, with the qualitative, you know, are all these available now as we knew them pre pandemic, how have they shifted that you've either personally as a moderator been a part of, or maybe some of your colleagues, like how has the focus group one-on-ones ethnographies, how have they changed? Well, because of say the pandemic, (laughs) say that little pandemic we've been talking about. Well, you know, as I said earlier, the, 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 um, the pandemic has come along and created fear with consumers. So you're no longer really still sorry. I, we're recording the beginning of 2023. You're still feeling, I agree that it, 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 I don't know why I'm interrupting, but I agree that there was a lot. Do you still think fear is hanging over, even though people, you know, were two years into this? I got an example from a, a comment that I saw on LinkedIn just recently. Okay, go for it. Moderator is moderating a session. And by the way, Focus group sessions in person are more expensive. They've doubled in price. Okay. So you've got a very expensive focus group going on and one person starts to cough. Mm. Everyone in the room kind of pushes their chair back Mm. and they wound up stopping the session, not even halfway through because no one was comfortable sitting in the room with that person now that they'd been coughed on. If you don't think people are scared and it's changed the way that qualitative research is executed today, that's all I needed to hear. Perfect answer. I wanted to underscore that because you're talking to somebody who still wears a mask often. So I just flew for the first time. So, and that a lot has to do with my little health journey and all that that most of my colleagues know about. So, okay. So I'm with you on the safety thing. So let's apply that to some of these qualitative opportunities. How have they changed? They've changed dramatically. They've changed dramatically. For the exact example that I just gave you, um, they um, research facilities have closed down because okay. it's very difficult to sanitize them. Mm. So they've closed down through the pandemic and have, have uh, gone away. In-depth interviews are similar because they were you were sitting with one person face to face. You can still wear a mask, even if you're doing it in person. Wearing a mask, it's like teaching a group of students with masks on. Yeah, I can't tell if they're falling asleep or if they're really paying attention because you don't get the facial expressions. 
right. which gives you such cues as a moderator in terms of their appreciation or distaste for something that you're sharing with them. It's changed a great deal. I've gone virtual. I'm sorry. There we go. Get I'm granular. Virtual. virtual. There we go. Okay. I'm doing virtual. I mean, I saw it right away that that was going to be a problem. And I opened up a company and said, I'm going to do virtual stuff. And uh, because, and then I don't have the expenses of, of, of a facility and all that. But more importantly, what I found was it's very cool because if I want to talk to eight people, now I can do a focus group with eight people on my screen in a Zoom call. Two of them are from the West Coast, two of them are from Mountain, two of them are from the Central, and two yeah. of them are from the Northeast. Huh. And I get a perspective from across the country on the issues that my client wants to listen to. Mm -hmm. So I can do two focus groups virtually and capture the perspective from across the country in a qualitative environment. It's fabulous. That? And you can yeah. sit there in one evening and capture all of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How about your one-on-ones? Like you've got a sensitive topic. I mean, I know you're a consummate professional and experienced moderator. Are you finding it harder to get that rapport with someone virtually on a one-on-one -on -one talking about a sensitive product that's being developed or a service? Are they cooperative? What's going on there? I think once you establish it, it's tougher, it's harder okay. to do. The moderators that I, I see some moderators just really struggling with that. For myself, I've been doing this a long time. I can make someone feel comfortable. And interestingly, more so a woman than a man feel comfortable telling me something about a sensitive topic. Okay. You can absolutely do it virtually. So you're actually, you know, you're still very easily able to do, build that rapport and then glean. glean absolutely. The, absolutely. The, the information. Now, ethnographies, how are they doing those these days going into people's homes? Have you heard? It's, it's, I have not. I mean, okay. it's got to be very difficult. Yeah. We were doing ethnographies, sending people out with a camera or having them work with their tel uh, cell phone. And, okay. you know, oh, that's yeah. the other issue is mobile. And it's just, it's too loose from my standpoint. There's not any control uh, from my standpoint. When I've got somebody that I'm sending out with a camera or their phone to take pictures of their closet or their pantry, okay. you know, it, it's just too loose. Tell me more. Need tighter control. What are you feeling? What are you feeling that they're... They're taking pictures not because they really are interested in it and doing it, but they're doing it because they've been asked to do it and they're going to get paid for it. Okay. So it's not a real true reflection. Okay. I don't think it is. Okay. I don't think it is. Okay. I'd be just, I'm much more comfortable just talking to somebody about it. And mm -hmm. if I want to get them to send me pictures of their, you know, whatever, that's fine. Yeah. So I hear definitely virtual focus groups, virtual one-on-ones, mobile first, jury's out on that. You're not as comfortable. Totally get that. Um, there's no right or wrong answer. You're my expert here. How about one of the things I heard that was up and coming market research trends are these communities 
So virtual communities, yep. you know, or a Slack group of a brand or certain people, all the people that listen to, you know, I could start a community. Anybody who listens to my podcast and have interested in this topic, I could start probably a community. So my question is when you have this virtual gathering of people who, who have identified themselves as being a part of this group. So I'm making a distinction. We're not recruiting them like you would in typical market research fashion. What's your point of view on on uh, leveraging communities virtually for research? I think it's fabulous. Um, <laughs> okay. I think it's outstanding. Um, and <laughs> here, uh, another uh, example that I would have would be. Um, I did uh, research for a, um, um, this was a couple of years ago. I did research for a tennis company. Oh, um, cool. I love tennis. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and if you sit down with 20 or 25 or 30 people who are tennis players who play every week in a club, you know, whatever, um, and they can be, 18, they can be 45, they can be 65, they can be men, they can be women. The dialogue that happens in them talking about tennis issues, yeah, they're enthusiasts. You'll get the best information ever. Communities can do marvelous mm-hmm. things and can generate, and, and they're oftentimes a wonderful source of innovation. What are you doing differently? How are you taping your handle? How are you, you know, stringing your racket? What kind of shoes are you wearing? Do you find it better to be wearing pants or, you know, whatever? They're enthusiastic. They're enthusiasts. They want to share. I think that's fabulous. Yeah, they're definitely uh, they're heavy buyers. <laughs> no, heavy users of tennis. Heavy you know, users. Heavy buyers, right? But they're you're, but they're they're enthusiasts. Yeah, I like that. Actually, that's the right word, enthusiast. So maybe you can uh, let me know from some of your colleagues who's who's using the the virtual community and how are they, you know, getting the questions in the community and getting the answers back. I would love I'd love to have you come back and and talk about that. Yeah. So you heard it here first. That's one of the emerging. Uh, you, you realize, realize important, Denise, that everybody has to move to virtual. Mm. So they don't have a choice. It's just how well they do that. So if you're doing pharmaceutical, you're doing medical, yeah. you're moving to virtual. You really don't have a choice at this point. Yeah. Touche. So. Yeah, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. All right. Yeah. All right. So now, as promised, we're gonna we're gonna talk about utilizing contact center data that's that you know comes in like similar communities where people are self-selecting themselves, right? It does not represent the US population. First of all, Thoughts on whether or not you would perceive that data to be qualitative or quantitative, Professor? Which one? I would absolutely consider that to be qualitative. And I think it's probably one of the most underutilized Mm 
channels to brand management and to senior management about how the consumer is feeling. And it's a scary one because there's a responsibility that the brand has to providing feedback and to accepting their the consumer feedback and to letting the consumers know that they're important. If you don't have that, today's consumer just feels like you're big corporate and you don't care about me. These, this, these channels of getting consumer feedback are so wonderful and they should be utilized so much more than they probably are. I was thinking mm-hmm. about it earlier with when I look at, at uh, Topline for IRI, uh, from IRI on my brand, and I see two SKUs that are failing. If I'm a brand director, marketing director, and I call and, and I call my call center people and my people that are monitoring the social media threads. And I say, hey, what's going on? Do you, do you see anything with these two items? Okay. Let me as a brand manager and as an executive get a little closer to the consumers. Now, your responsibility as the social media kind of um, contact and channel is that you need to make sure that those consumers think they're important to you. First of all, that love all that. I think really you started even touching in on this, this, my next question, which is what would be the role in new product development that you see this data uh, assisting with? And I think you just sort of talked about it, which is if you start seeing, whether it's IRI syndicated trending data or even a trial and repeat, if you start to see some things that you're not loving in terms of the numbers or the shares that, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you would reach out to your contact center and begin to understand what they're hearing about maybe these two SKUs. Is that, did I summarize that correctly? Yeah, you did. <laughs> as, you're, as you're saying that though, you know, one of the things that, that really strikes me is I've always loved the idea of putting a, hmm, um, a thought team together on a brand. You know, we go out and we do focus groups and we recruit focus groups and we try and get people that use our products and we try and get people that are enthusiastic about our products, but you've got them. They're <laughs> calling us and they may be screaming at us, but they're enthusiastic because they didn't just throw the product away. They wanted you to know. Enlist them, make them your army. Make them your community. Now bounce ideas off of them. Say, hey, you know what? I'd like you to join my army. Let us contact you when we've got some questions. How much, you know, what's that person going to say? You know what? I am now an advisor for this brand. Holy cow. And it's all because of the, incoming communication from the consumer. Okay. I think we have our mission and that is, I'd asked you earlier, you're going to come back and talk about leveraging communities for research. Now I'm going to give you more work. How do we make 
you know, this palatable to leverage this data because there's now there's some new privacy uh, laws, obviously. So we would have to make sure it meets all those requirements. So now my second assignment for you is how can we take contact center data and appropriately turn that into a community and start leveraging it. So I can't wait to hear about that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Listeners, Jim is just looking at me like, why is this woman giving me more work to do? But you're sparking (laughs) these ideas and you know, this is what happens. This is what happens. But but this has been great fun, Jim. Like I, I, I said earlier, when we were going through things, I could talk about this type of stuff for quite a while. So last question for you, I promise, how can people get in touch with you to learn more about your consulting business as well as uh, what's what's going on over at St. Joseph's University's food marketing curriculum? Real easy. From getting in touch with me, my website is marketingresearchwithpartner.com. Um, reach out to me anyway through that, uh, and you can see who I am and my profile there. Okay. Also, I write on LinkedIn, and I um, have a, a following on LinkedIn. Yes, you do. So, and the the other thing is that's important is um, before I go is that St. Joe's is has got some great people doing some great work and bringing a tremendous amount of excitement to food marketing, and um, so I, I think. Uh, the word is out that St. Joe's is a top-notch school for food marketing, and um, the opportunities there for extent uh, for graduate degrees for undergraduate programming is are just fabulous. So I think you're going to see even some even greater things coming from St. Joe's in the years ahead. Perfect. And thanks again, Jim, for taking time out of this uh, Wednesday evening to to chat with me and share your time, but more importantly, your expertise. I'm grateful. Thank you. My pleasure. I appreciate it. And I hope we get to do it again. (gasps) Absolutely. (laughs) Take care, Denise. (laughs) If you've learned even a kernel of an idea or was inspired by this episode, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcast. Be sure to share out the hashtag CPGCX because CPGCX really and truly rocks. You have been listening to the My Curious Colleague Podcast with Denise Benito. Thank you for your time.